2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning this morning in verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve, as I did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Second Timothy is about Paul's concern to pass on a deposit of truth. If you look back, if you have your Bibles open to First Timothy, the last chapter, the very last verses of First Timothy, listen to what it says. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. The deposit of truth, the words of life, the gospel. Paul was writing Second Timothy so that that deposit of truth would be passed on to the next generation. That that deposit of truth would pass from the apostolic age, the age of the apostles, to the non-apostolic age, to people like us, that we would get that deposit of truth. It burned in his soul. We've talked about that. We've also talked about the fact that Second Timothy is a long introduction for us to the book of Romans because it is in those books that Paul wrote that that deposit resides in the truth, in the scriptures. And there's no book greater and more detail about that deposit than the book of Romans. And so we're headed toward Romans. But Paul was thinking of that deposit. I, I don't know that he was thinking especially of the letters that he wrote to the churches, but that's where that deposit lay. It, wrote, it lay in letters to the Ephesians, in letters to the Galatians, in letters to Thessalonica, in the letter he wrote to the Roman church. That's where that deposit was and and Paul poured out his heart in letter after letter after letter to those churches to get the deposit to them to help them to hear the words of life to hear the gospel and so my goal in going through second timothy is that we will see the preciousness of that deposit as we get to it in romans and that God will help us to see how critically important it is that we understand the breadth and the depth of that deposit. Um, That's what Paul wanted. That's what he chose Timothy for, was to be the one whom he would pass it on to, and that Timothy in turn would pass it to others. And so the question this morning that I want to answer from this text, I think the text answers it for us, is why Timothy? What was it about Timothy that made Paul so keen about getting that deposit to Timothy? Why write a whole letter to Timothy about passing on that deposit? That's really what 2 Timothy is about. Why? Why Timothy? What was it in his life that that made Paul realize he was a candidate to pass that apostolic truth on 
to a non-apostolic age. And, and what I hope you see this morning is that, that we are in Timothy's category. We are part of that non-apostolic age. And it's as critical for it to get past to Timothy and to us as well. That, that we get it and that you get it for the sake of your generations coming behind you, that you get it correct so that you can pass it on to them. That's, that's the way God designed it to be. And certainly the benefit we have now that Timothy didn't have is we have it in one place in the scriptures. And so God help us as we walk through this. Let me, let me just share four or five things that I think were a part of Timothy's life. And I hope, I hope that we desire to make them a part of our lives as we walk in his stead to continue to pass on the deposit of truth, to get it, to understand it, to pass it on. First thing in Timothy's life that I think caused Paul and the thing about Timothy's life that caused Paul to want to pass it on to Timothy is because he had such a personal relationship with Timothy. He had such a keen kindred spirit with Timothy. He knew Timothy well. Um, he was instrumental in Timothy's conversion. The scriptures make it pretty plain that Paul probably was instrumental in Timothy coming to see these truths, the truths of this gospel and of these words of life. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, My true child in the faith. Timothy, or Paul felt that way about Timothy. I think probably Paul had watched him come to life. Um, we, we talk a lot about how this, in, this deposit tells us that, that all people once were dead and, and if they are Christians today have been brought to life. We pass from death to life. That's what it means to become a Christian. You, you pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. You're dead and you become alive to truth and to the gospel. And he probably watched Timothy come to life. Maybe he knows the very moment it happened. Um, in Timothy's life. Maybe he is recollecting some of that even as he writes this, but he most certainly watched that metamorphosis happen of Timothy passing from death to life, of having a heart of stone. That's the illustration that we had this morning in the prayer time, a heart of stone being made a heart of flesh, becoming fleshy. Uh, he, he observed that in Timothy's life. He watched the progress of that. He watched the progress of those lights coming on more and more. And, and nothing I, I, I would expect was of greater joy to Paul than that. Um, he talked about joy in this particular text. May my, may I be filled with joy as I see you, Timothy, because he, would recollect those kinds of things and what God had done in Timothy's life. His joy was about what God was doing in Timothy's life and how he had transformed Timothy's life. Paul felt it. He watched his growth as he continued to mentor Timothy. He certainly mentored him over time. Um, There are other places in Scripture we get a glimpse of the feelings that Paul had for Timothy in other books, in other writings, in the book to... In the letter to the Philippians, he writes this. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, 
how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. He felt that way about Timothy because he had had life-on-life experience with Timothy. Over a period of years, he'd watched his growth. And then thirdly, not only watched, I think, him come to life, probably, true son in the faith, watched him as he mentored him and, and saw the, the heart of stone become a heart of flesh, how he saw Timothy fight against selfish interests, fight against those vestiges of our old life after we become a Christian that want to hang on to us and saw Timothy war against his own heart and put down those things. He watched that. But then ultimately, because of that, Paul realized that Timothy could lead One of the dearest churches to Paul's heart was the church at Ephesus. And he put Timothy in charge of a church, the church at Ephesus. Timothy walked into that church to lead it as a young man, a a very young man. And Paul placed him there to come against air that was being taught, but he watched him lead. So he watched him come to life. He watched him grow in the faith, and he ultimately placed him in leadership because of all of that. And that was part of that joy, I think it says. I want to be filled with joy as you come to see me, Timothy. We don't know if Timothy ever got there. We don't know as Paul was in that dark, dank prison cell and calling for Timothy to come soon and to bring his parchments. We don't know if he ever arrived. But Paul certainly wanted him to arrive. Paul wanted to see Timothy again because of the love that he had for him. And I I thought about that as I was preparing for this morning and thinking of of here at Richland over the years that I've been here. And I would I would say with with without any reservation that the greatest joy of my years here is to been is to watch somebody pass from spiritual death to spiritual life, to help them begin to to see uh, see the gospel and 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 to understand the gospel. And to see the lights come on as God opens their eyes to see that, there's nothing more exciting in ministry to watch that happen in somebody's life. And then to walk with them through that process of God taking that heart and making it uh, flesh, making it no longer stony and hard, but soft and pliable. And then ultimately um, have been here, Lord, for by the God's grace long enough to watch them even move into leadership and and lead a church. So what happened to Timothy has been my experience here. I've watched some of you come to faith, come to life in Christ, grow in that faith, and ultimately now today be in leadership of the church here. That's how Paul felt. That's that's the kind of kindred spirit he had about Timothy. It's why he knew Timothy was a candidate to to guard the deposit and why he felt like he needed to write this letter. Secondly, I think I think he knew Timothy's grasp of that deposit because he'd watched those things, because he observed the life of Timothy, um, and he saw how the lights came on. As I said, one of the joys of faith is to see those lights come on, but a secondary joy is to, to watch the dots begin to co- connect it and watch people begin to grow in their faith and have Scripture come alive to them. And no longer do I have to be the one telling them what it says, 
but they start to see it for themselves. They start to go to the scriptures and be led by the scripture itself. And certainly that happened to Timothy, I think. In, in the scriptures in 2 Timothy um, chapter 3 and verse 14 and 15, skip over there a bit. We'll come to it later and talk more about it. But if you see it there, it, he's talking to Timothy and he's admonishing Timothy now about about this deposit and passing on. But he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Timothy, from childhood, had been acquainted with the sacred writings because his grandmother and his mother had taught them to him. And Timothy had again, come to life, and they had come to life. Now, think about this a minute. Put it in the context here. It's talking about the Old Testament. Not talking about the New Testament here. Timothy didn't have that. He had, he had the letter from, um, from Paul in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, the letter to the Ephesian church. Certainly, if he led that church, he would have had read that letter, but maybe no others. We don't know for sure what writings of Paul he had read. But what we do know is that he connected the Old Testament to all of that. He, he realized that all of the Old Testament, all of the promises of the Old Testament, all of the things he had learned from infancy, found their yes in Christ, found their fulfillment in Christ. And he believed that. And he stood on that. That's what he's talking about, the, the scriptures that you've known from infancy. So Paul realized that Timothy understood that, that it was one story of God. There wasn't an Old Testament story for the people of Israel and then a New Testament story for Christians. It was one story. And Timothy realized that and connected all of that. And God opened his eyes to see it. Timothy had a deep grasp of Scripture and truth and of the deposit itself. Um, That's one of my hopes as we go to Romans, that that it will help us again see that the Bible is one story. There's not a God of the Old Testament, a God of the New Testament. There's one God. And Paul in Romans ties those things together marvelously, and we'll watch that as we walk through the book of Romans of Romans together. So secondly, he had a deep grasp of the deposit. He already had a grasp of what, what Paul was wanting him to pass on to others. Thirdly, we see that he had a sincere faith. We see that in the text itself this morning. He, uh, Paul writes in verse 4, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. And by, by inference, did not, did not dwell in his father. It was his grandmother and his mother who, who instilled this into Timothy, who had taught Timothy. And, and it had blossomed into a sincere faith. Why, why would Paul use that word, a sincere faith? Why, why wouldn't he just say a faith? Why does he, why does he qualify that sincere faith? Probably because later in this same book, he says something like this. If you look in verse 9, do your best to come to me soon, 
Timothy. And then in verse 10 of chapter 4, it says, For Demas, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Probably the reason that he uses the word sincere faith is because he saw others who professed this faith, but it didn't last. They didn't persevere in that faith. It wasn't a sincere faith. It was faith on the surface and for a while, but it didn't last. It didn't last, which shows it to be a spurious faith. And that's what Scripture teaches again and again. He endures to the end in faith will be saved. Certainly it is God who works in us to will and to do according to his good purpose, which is if he's begun a work, to bring that work to completion. But the evidence is in the enduring. The evidence is do we continue in that faith, and Demas didn't. And I think if he were to write about Demas, he would talk about an insincere faith, a faith that wasn't true faith, a faith that wasn't a real faith. And, and those words should, in some ways, really catch us and help us to, to see the magnitude of this, of endurance. Uh, as I walk through ministry, there's lots of joys. The greatest joy, as I said, is to watch somebody come to faith and to watch them grow in that faith, even to the point of being placed in leadership. But one of the saddest things is to watch somebody seemingly come to faith and start out well and sometimes start out fast and then falter along the way. And I can name those in that category as well here this morning who, who no longer believe, no longer profess to believe. I have that experience in, in my own family. No longer persevere in the faith they began in. I can't call that faith sincere faith. That's not how you would characterize it. Think about that. I thought about that a lot even this week. People who, who begin in the faith or seemingly begin in the faith, but they begin because they need Jesus to fix things. Now certainly Jesus does change things and he comes and brings his grace and he helps and he fixes the greatest problem and that's our sin problem. But the fixing is about wanting it to work out a certain way. And, and they'll add him to their life, even in difficult times, to get him to fix something. But if that fix doesn't, doesn't line up with what the way they thought that fix should be, unfortunately, at times, people decide, we don't want that faith anymore. Or maybe there's somebody, this is, I see, even sometimes in greater degree. I see as I get older, maybe it's because I'm of that generation now, I see people who have everything. But all of a sudden they realize something's lacking. Oftentimes it's the spiritual dimension of their life and so they've accumulated everything or much of what this world has to offer and all of a sudden they realize there's something missing and so all of a sudden they start to consider spiritual things and begin to think about their spiritual life and and again, are willing to add Jesus in, willing to add him into the mix. If he'll add something to my life, I'll take him. But as soon as it doesn't pay off the way that they want, something happens about how they see Jesus. So it doesn't matter. Maybe you're in a tough spot and you've added him on, or you're in a great spot and you've added him on. If it's only a matter of adding him on, 
you're not getting the message correct. This morning, I, this doesn't often happen, but I, this morning as we were praying, I heard something that I'm just going to add right in here. It was a good illustration of this. It was a good illustration of what it means to have true faith in Christ and what difference that makes in our life. It's not a matter of just adding something to our life. It is core to our life. And this, this is a powerful illustration. Um, as one was praying this morning, he, he made this statement that those who aren't alive spiritually, who, who haven't come to life in Christ, and if they don't, they will never get any closer to heaven than they are right now. I mean, there's some wonderful things in this life that we can experience. Some wonderful graces that God gives us. Even unbelievers, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Both. Rain being good things falls on the just and the unjust. Farmers understand rain is a good thing. But that's as close as you're going to get to heaven if Christ has not forgiven your sin, if he's not your sin bearer. And contrary, sometimes believers, Christians, go through some difficult things, some hard things. I can't can't answer all of those questions. I can't. I can't. I can't answer the small part of that question of why some people suffer to the degree they they do, and even Christians do. I I don't have an answer to the small. Big picture is easy. Sin broke the world. Small picture, not so easy. But to the Christian who, who experiences those things, hard things, things that tempt them to to just chuck this Jesus and and decide that it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, so I'll just leave him behind. It didn't pay off the way it should. I say to them, you'll never get closer to hell than you are now. That's what was prayed this morning. If you're a true believer, though you go through difficult things, you'll never get closer to hell than you are right now. Though it's difficult, though it's hard, everything gets better. Everything gets better than you can imagine. But it's the opposite of the other. You see, that's the real issue. That point, the reason, the reason that we embrace Christ, the reason that we commit our lives to Christ. What happens when our eyes get opened is that we realize our sin and we need a sin bearer and this is the only place where we find the promise of life. Life after death. Glorious life after death. Think about that a bit in relation. Sincere faith. That's the kind of faith Timothy had. A faith that Paul was going to now say, you're going to experience some hard things. You're going to take this deposit to the world and I'm going to die for it. I'm not going to get out of this prison cell, but I'm not shaking it. I'm not casting it off. And he said to Timothy, and we'll come to it next week, suffer well. Look at it in verse 8. We didn't read it. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. A sincere, true faith. A true, a true faith. 
A faith that would not be one day cast aside, but would persevere to the end. That's the faith that he knew Timothy had. And he trusted this deposit to Timothy. Fourthly, he knew the reason he picked Timothy, the reason he he realized Timothy was the one that really God had picked, that God had revealed to him as the one, is because of Timothy's inadequacies. Now that seems kind of an oxymoron, doesn't it? That he would choose Timothy to take the most precious thing in Paul's life, this deposit of truth, this, this thing, this truth that promises life, and he would put it in the hands of another because of his inadequacies. I think that was somewhat the case. Let me explain why I say that. We know that Timothy was relatively young. We know that Timothy was incredibly timid. He had an introspective kind of withdrawn personality. He was prone to fear. And thirdly, we know that Timothy was not physically very strong. He was prone to illness. We know all of those things. So here, Paul is deciding who will be the one that he will pass on this deposit of truth. Not the only one, but one of the ones he will pass on this deposit of truth, the one that's dearest to him, closest to his heart, the one he writes a letter to. Didn't write a letter to very many people about that. Timothy got one about passing on this deposit. And yet he knows all those things about Timothy. He's young, he's young. He's going he's gonna to deal with churches that have older people and difficult things happening and all kinds of stuff. But it's going to go to Timothy. He's prone to pull back. He's prone to being fearful. And he gets sick a lot. And yet Paul chooses Timothy. And I think the reason... I think the reason is, is because all of that, all of that made Timothy say, but God, God, you've got to help me. God, you've got to be my strength. And Paul knew that no man, no man, no man could carry the weight of passing on this deposit except God helped them. The reason we have this deposit today is not akin to the strength of a man and a man's personality and a man's physical health. It's akin to the fact that God has taken weak people and he has strengthened them for the task. And that's exactly where I think Timothy found himself. The scripture says here, talks about the gift of God. Look look at it in 2 Timothy there. He says, after I am... I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. What did Timothy need? He needed God's power. He needed God's help. We read about that particular um, laying on of hands 
in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. Let me read it to you here. It says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So there, there was a time when the leaders laid their hands on Timothy. And probably Paul's speaking about the same event here. And as they laid their hands on Timothy in the midst of his weakness, in the midst of his fear, in the midst of his timidity, in the midst of, I'm sure, thoughts going through his head, how can I do this? They said, you are the man. And prayed that God would give him power in his weakness to accomplish what God was asking him to do. And the fruit of that, the fruit of that laying on of hands is that he would have power, that he would have love, and he would have self-control. That God would strengthen Timothy for the task, which is what God says he will do, which is God promises to do to all that he calls to his work. So let me tell you this morning, if you feel inadequate, You're a candidate. We're all candidates. In fact, it's the opposite of that that will hinder you more. If you think it's because of the gifts you have that you can do what God wants you to do, you're sadly mistaken. Timothy was a candidate because of his inadequacy, because he knew he needed to look to God for the weight of the task that was before him. That gives me hope. I hope it gives you hope this morning. The scripture says, interestingly here, it's kind of a sidelight, but it says in verse 4, and I remember your tears. Many believe those tears were the tears when Paul parted the church at Ephesus and left. That, that's possible. But, but maybe it was the tears, maybe it was the tears of Timothy as they laid his, their hands on him, as those leaders laid their hands on him. The tears that had behind them fears and inadequacies and all kinds of things, but said, Lord, I'm willing. Maybe it was those tears, because it's interesting, it's in that context that we hear about those tears. We don't hear about those tears in, in context of the parting, but we hear about it in the context of the hands being laid on Timothy in this case. But it says power help, but it also says love and self-control. Think, Timothy's a young man. He's a young man going to work with people maybe twice his age in some of these churches and have to lead them. One of the dangers of youth is that, that we can get, if we're not careful, things out of perspective and, and not have a perspective of life and of time. And Paul prayed that he would have love, he would have self-control, all of those things, that that gift God will give you to lead and to take this particular deposit and pass it on, Timothy, to lead God's church forward. True humility. It's the kind of humility Paul had. Paul talked about it in Second Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. You think again back what's happening. We're coming to the end of the apostolic age. 
this deposit of truth, which now we know is the Bible, but there was no Bible then. It, it hadn't come been collected. The books had not been collected and affirmed by the church and put into one, one place. This deposit, this deposit of truth, the words of life, the teachings about Jesus and what he taught, all of that, all of that, and Timothy's being called now to pass that on. Timothy and those who would follow. If God doesn't do it, folks, it doesn't happen. He certainly uses human instruments to do it. And we need to be willing to let him use us. But God does it by his power through his people. God help us to be a people who are willing Help us to realize that though we're talking about Timothy here today, we're talking about us. Are we going to continue to take this deposit of truth, the words of life, to our world, to our communities? That's what God has called us to do here at Richland and and beyond, but here. It's caused us to to know this deposit of truth so that we can convey this deposit of truth to others because it's a matter of life and death. I mean, that is what the gospel is about. The gospel isn't about just cleaning up a little part of your life or, or some kind of moral teaching or learning how to share stuff better. It's, it's about life. It's about life. It's about knowing that this is not all there is and that we have the promise of life. My prayer is that God will help us. will help us just like he helped Timothy, that it help us to be people of sincere faith, that, that we'll allow God to persevere in us till the end, that, that we will look to him to Persevere in faith. We'll have genuine, no matter how many bumpy places in the road you hit, no matter how many difficult things you go through, that you ultimately will not shake your fist at God ultimately. You, you will not turn back. That you will persevere, that he will persevere in you. Sincere faith in this deposit of truth, in these words of life that we'll hold true to them. We won't, we won't um, waver from them no matter what our culture around us does. And that we will look to God for his help, for his power, a spirit of power and love and self-control, as Timothy had. God help us this morning. We're going to move ultimately to the book of Romans, but I hope as we walk there through Timothy that we see the importance when we get there. Let's stand together and sing.
said at that point in your ministry, your son's ministry, when when the crowds were getting smaller and smaller and people were no longer jumping on the bandwagon to follow him. That time in Jesus' ministry and life when he started to say some hard things about dying in a cross. The scripture says many of his disciples no longer followed him. At that point, Father, you turned to Peter and you said, do you want to go with them, Peter? 
And Peter turned back and said what I think Timothy would have said. There's no place else to go. Only you have the words of eternal life. The words of life. Father, I pray that you'll help us to realize how precious those words are and how important it is that we understand them and that we pass them on to the generations that follow us. The words of the gospel, the good news of Christ, help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in God's peace. Thank you.